Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. Enjoy the show. I'm not Alex Powers. He's not Alex Powers. But this is Historical Light. It's an independent Masonic show focused on historical events and aspects of Freemasonry. So Alex's not here tonight, so the show's already starting off great. But it's going to be a great show tonight because right here beside me, I have Gabriel Mariscal from California here. Uh, Gabriel, welcome to Historical Light. Uh, I know Alex wanted to be here tonight. Uh, he was on your show a couple years ago, so it is great yes. to have you here. So if you introduce yourself to everybody. Definitely. So thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we kind of kick this off, because uh, I told a couple of, uh, of the brothers, I was like, I'm going to be talking and hanging out with uh, with the past guy master. So I had to throw that in there. So if the most forceful slips out, please know that it is because of respect and love. So Killing me. Killing me. <laughs> But uh, thank you for the introduction. Now, my, my name is Gabriel Mariscal, uh, past master and proud ma uh, member of General Douglas MacArthur Lodge Number 853 in Sacramento, California. Uh, I'm the current secretary for the board of directors to our historic downtown building in Sacramento. I am also the Sacramento region's chairman of the Public Education Advisory Committee for the California Masonic Foundation. And shout out to that leadership there, Worshipful Doug Ismail and, and Brother Candler Gibson and Josh Castro, uh, some of the smartest guys I know. Um, I am a member of the Grand Lodge Masonic Education Committee, which we have some exciting projects in development right now. And shout out to that committee who is working diligently with our Grand Lodge and their support team to prepare for an exciting symposium highlighting the life and membership of Brother Harry Houdini, uh, as this year is his 100th anniversary of becoming a Master Mason. And I think those have, uh, I think Facebook has already kind of started uh, promoting that. So. Uh, our symposium will be held by uh, our grandmaster, Randy Brill, who is an absolutely fantastic and amazing man, uh, fascinating, distinguished professional background and, and accomplished magician. So it's going to be a great, uh, great show at, at, for that. Now, aren't you, a, are you a past master of SAC 40 as well? Yes. No? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because I think and, when and I, when I first saw you, that's what you were doing. You had uh, brought in Masonic education to SAC 40 and Scraping the bottom of the barrel, you brought in Alex as a virtual guest speaker. Um, and I appreciate Alex coming on because I think when COVID kind of happened, we nobody knew what to do. And, and and I think there was a few guys that were like, well, let's take this online because education still needs to continue. So, And I remember Alex talking about that because I don't know, it was one of his, seems like it was one of his first virtual education things. And I would hate to rat him out that he was kind of worried about if he was going to watch. So he made sure that I was going to be watching. And I did join the broadcast. Uh, awesome. late show, and we talked afterwards about the fire and excitement in your lodge. And I know uh, Alex was talking about preserving uh, a fading legacy and uh, the archive, the archival of the records in lodges digitally. So, right. Uh, definitely. Definitely. But um, so I've got to do some business here for Alex. He wants to make sure that, uh, well, I want to make sure too, um, but want to, Plug the Patreon subscribers. So a big thank you to those folks. That's how this show gets along. So if you want to be a supporter of this show more than just watching, uh, be a Patreon supporter. There's 
uh, information in the links. You can get cool stuff there. There's a lapel pin. There's an ambassador badge if you want to go to that level. And also, and of course, I've got my camera backwards, but you can get an awesome T-shirt if nice. you are a show ambassador. So I'm a Patreon subscriber as well. So awesome. I'm not sure if being a host is part of the package, but I'm sure Alex would work that deal as well. Definitely. I just, I just took the screenshot and uh, we'll be uh, contributing here. I didn't even know you guys had that. So definitely. He sure does. And Alex appreciates that. And he's been very, very good to his, his Patreon subscribers at every level. Uh, when I first joined up, I mean, I immediately got a lapel pin in the mail, like within days. Oh, wow. And as as I, I tested the show out and I've increased my level and I've really enjoyed this historical like show. Mm. And it is just what he says it is. You know, it's it's focused on preserving the history of different events. And right. even though he's based in Kansas, he doesn't often have Kansas people on here because there's so much more. And tonight we are excited to have you on talking about the history of Freemasonry in California. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And, oh. and that's yeah. one of the things that, that I admire about this show is, is the fact that it is so diverse and, and it kind of, it, it culminates and it kind of goes together with the topic that we're going to discuss tonight with, how many different you know states kind of formed California masonry in particular. So it's an exciting, exciting story. So for those who are watching live, thank you for joining us. But those watching on the rewatch, not after live broadcast, thank you even more. Uh, whether you're in the car, whether you're in the office, uh, yes. Lodges is going to be a great Masonic education session. Just skip to the, about the 10 minute mark yeah. when Gabriel starts. It's going to be some great Masonic education. And a lot of lodges miss out on that and just don't have anything. But tonight is going to be some great stuff on the history of California. So, Gabriel, I'm going to get out of the way and let you do your thing. All right. So, again, everybody, this is Gabriel Mariscal from the Grand Lodge of, well, Jurisdiction of California. Gabe? Thank you so much for that, Darren. I appreciate it. And uh, kind of getting back to you really quickly so I can give you the whole background of, of tonight's topic. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to, let's see. So going back to the other, the, the leadership committees and all these other things that, that we're involved with. So uh, a lot of the ideas that, that we're taking to the, the, the pulse of masonry is coming from the Alex Powers is that, you know, to the, the year show and, and everybody's show. So, uh, uh, so thank you for that, those shameless plugs and, and um, to move on to the presentation. So this presentation is tailored to encourage a viewer to explore and promote Masonic education with your lodges. Why we're here, who we are, what we're doing, and where we're going. You don't have to be a world-renowned scholar to participate in education. Just pick a topic, submerge yourself in it, and write about it. Present it to your peers and inspire deep thoughts. Inspire self-reflection and inspire personal assessment. We are, after all, in the business of making good men better. And education is one of those ingredients in a rich Masonic experience. So, so Darren, I'd love to hear what your kind of takes on uh, education programs are. Well, for me, uh, in a lodge setting, it's obviously something with Masonic content. Um, and for me, it's got to be related to Blue Lodge. I know a lot of folks go outside that, and that's okay. But I love to come hear something maybe unique. That I didn't know before, but if I have a new master mason or a new apprentice, whatever sitting there, I just love to have something that'll inspire at least one person in that group. That's where I'm yeah. at. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so tonight's topic is uh, being presented as a romantic story of the times and how our fraternity laid its foundations to help shape the history of one of the most diverse and influential locations in the entire world, California. 
So let's travel back in time with you as a Freemason in the mid-1840s and 1850s on the East Coast with Alexandria Lodge Number no. 22 in Washington, D.C. as the backdrop to this story. Much like today, you were probably a well-respected person or leader in your community and in your home and at your place of worship, and you were most likely successful and financially able to afford luxuries like dues, which were only recently much higher and in and of itself a topic for a future show. So you had a little bit of disposable income, which meant that you were probably a physician, educator, owned a whaling ship, passenger ship, blacksmith, farmer, entrepreneur, military leader, or worked in finance. And I want you to keep this in mind for future reference, because order and beauty doesn't happen by accident. And as weekly custom, you walk into your lodge for an evening of an educational and philosophical discussion, and perhaps while discussing the purpose of the right of destitution that we all experienced during our initiation, hear that one of your very own brothers found gold on the West Coast. And not just a little flake, but a game-changing amount. And one can only imagine what an exciting time this must have been to see the country beginning to take shape and expanding into unexplored areas of the continent, along with the possibility of finding financial freedom and unfathomable wealth. What did conversations in lodges sound like back then? I can hear brothers collaborating and talking about partnerships and expeditions, how, finance, how to finance these endeavors and possibly soliciting sponsorship to the more affluent Masons in their lodges, or perhaps a couple of brothers in lodge gathering amongst themselves and their wives and seriously contemplating a move together. I can also and most certainly hear the discouragement and concern of other members cautioning young ambitious brethren about the hazards and undiscovered part of the country and the steep costs associated with simply making the trek there. And like today, brothers had their opinions even back then. And as we know, Grand Lodges, seeing the opportunities and probably catching a little bit of the gold rush speed for themselves, authorized the practice of Freemasonry under the charters of Washington, D.C., which formed California Lodge Number no. 1, Connecticut, Louisiana, Illinois, Missouri, and Wisconsin. And members of these lodges gathered in my hometown of Sacramento and discussed where they would soon erect the foundations to the Grand Lodge we know today. So if I may ask you, Darren, do you know or have you heard of any Kansan Masons who possibly made this trek from your part of the town to the West Coast during the gold rush? Oh, mute, mute. <laughs> I am. This is why I've only been on here a couple of times. I'm so worried about talking over you because I'm very guilty of that. But those who know me, in addition to knowing that I'm not very tech savvy, so that's why I'm on the show, uh, know that I'm not a great historian. So I, I am unaware of any Kansas Masons who were 49ers and went out there. Uh, also, I would point out, I, I did not know that it was a brother that discovered gold. I had never heard that yes. before. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, right. There's so much you can explore in every in every facet of masonry. And, and we'll talk about that here as we get uh, through it with with education being kind of the underlying uh, message here tonight. So uh, but getting back to our traveling brother, how did we get there as Masons in the 1850s? So we'll talk logistics first. People during this time period only had two options, three, depending on the time frame. The first is to load everything you needed onto a stagecoach, preferably a caravan and make a difficult 3,000 plus mile trek through the Shenandoah Mountains, crossing the plains of the Midwest, climbing up your way and down the Rocky Mountains, 
and finally ending in the rolling foothills of California's gold country. This option would have taken quite some time and travelers would have faced many major challenges in each geographical location just mentioned. The second was to board a passenger ship and make a six month journey starting from the Northeast, sailing south on the transatlantic route and south via Brazil South, and then slingshotting underneath the Brazilian peninsula on a northerly direction where your ship will land in San Francisco a few months later. The starting line to finding or creating your own wealth. And lastly, depending on the exact year, was by train. The, Cran, excuse me, the Transcontinental Railway finished building in 1869, so most of our early miners traveled by circuitous route in one of the two other options by stagecoach or ship. Okay, so we've battled cholera, dysentery, smallpox, yellow fever, malaria, and a myriad of other communicable diseases on ship. Or you finally made it into the Golden State, having battled the inclemencies of weather, difficult terrain, or you may have even had to fight tribes of natives or posses of stagecoach robbers who try to take advantage of you on your grueling journey. But you finally made it to the land of opportunity. And much like California today, the first impression of San Francisco disembarking from the ships or when riding into towns must have been a sight to see. California, with its rich population of Hispanic, Chinese, Irish descents and cultures, the hustle and bustle of a young but thriving town and central point of commerce on the West Coast must have seemed like a promising omen. And since you took advantage of your ability and right to travel in foreign lands, knew that you would need assistance and could in return offer assistance. So you made prior arrangements through the use of your fraternal connections, as little or as extensive as they may have been, to ensure that you had a brother in every trade necessary to be successful. You had a brother who owns mining equipment and has agreed to loan you? Check. You have a brother who owns land where you could immediately begin mining? Check. You're going to strike it rich. And let's not forget that California is very much the Wild West at this point. So you're probably going to need a little extra protection. And depending on your budget, it could mean a few extra pistols, some rifles from your brother, the gunsmith, or security services from your other brother, who is a volunteer sheriff and wouldn't mind picking up a few extra dollars as, as side income. You're going to actually, or you're going to also have to consider food. But fortunately, the Tyler from Argonaut owns a butcher shop in Argonaut's a little town in, the, in Gold Country. Owns a butcher shop and his friend, who is also a mason in Jamestown, which is a few miles up the road, is a cattle rancher and has expressed that you get first pick at livestock to be delivered to the homestead that you haven't built by the chaplain of Sonora Lodge, who happens to know how to build the best old-timey prairie houses in the county. And this is where the order and beauty come in. As Masons, we understood that one of the benefits of being a Mason was the ability to travel freely and to be accepted wherever you went. But before diving into operations and outcomes of the gold rush, let's talk more about the practice of early California masonry. The craft began practicing almost immediately after the discovery of gold on the North Fork of the American River in 1848, before California was even a state and practiced under the charters of the six Grand Lodges previously mentioned. We didn't have the big cathedral-esque settings back then as we did post-1920. Masons literally practiced anywhere, from caves like the famous picture everyone saw, which is Volcano Lodge and roughly two hours southeast of us here in Sacramento, to rooms located on the second and third floors of saloons, banks, barbershops, bathhouses, 
anywhere space was available and easily accessible after a long day of mining or in the industry. Which another fun fact, courtesy of our Division Four Assistant Grand Lecturer, Worshipful Hiram Gomez, the position in which our hands are placed when giving the due guards, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, happens to be slightly closer in California due to the traditions or habits of our early minor brethren who used pocket Bibles that were easily transportable to obligate members. And I say that with so much, just the beauty of thinking about having a little pocket Bible for masonry, like the thought of that is just, it's, it's, oh my goodness, it's beautiful. So Gabriel, you're, so unlike now where many lodges have these, I'm going to say gargantuan Bibles, you're talking like the almost three by five right. size Bibles. Exactly. Exactly. So I, huh. and I wish I, could, I wish I could ask you what did you, what do your signs look like? And obviously we can't, but uh, so I'm just this is amazing. So oh. for those watching and listening, this is why you listen to these podcasts, whether it's live or on the rewatch, is because of cool tidbits just like that. It's just like one of those, and it makes sense, but it also shows that the, the uh, belief and faith they had to carry those Bibles at that time, even though they were in that endeavor of finding gold and such. Yeah, so amazing. absolutely. Amazing. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, please continue. No, no, please. Thank you. All right. Uh, which leads me, which led me to another point of interest with Masonic tradition, and that being the roles of the junior warden and stewards, especially as food to me is one of the purest forms of love. So having meals prepared for your brethren who spent all day searching for gold, who may have not have eaten one bite of food all day, had a warm bowl of soup, a juicy piece of meat, and a pie that would remind you of home. Food was that important and still is and is why I'm a proponent of food being a staple at every lodge. But not all of California masonry was this rustic. We also often forget that the speculative side of our fraternity comes from noble and rich lineage. So there are as many instances where Masonic lodges like in Sonora, Columbia, Jamestown, Murphy's, Sutter's Creek, Nevada City, where our incoming Grandmaster Sean Matroka is from, Shasta, Benicia, Sacramento, Plymouth, Monterey, etc., boasted beautiful buildings square in the middle of the town's main street. We even held lodge in one of the chambers of the state capitol in Sacramento at one year prior, early in our history, which I thought was a huge flex. So I just thought I'd drop that in there. Yeah, but as I recall from, not that I was, you know, snooping your your podcast and stuff, For Sure, but that was the first cornerstone laid in California, right? It was in that state. Correct. House? Okay. Yes. And thank, yes. Thank you for that. So that we did lay the first cornerstone. <laughs> so just one of those tidbits. It's like how interesting that the first, I mean, it all comes together there. History. Right. Rapidly. Right. So, and let me ask you since, since Ron, uh, what is your oldest lodge and where is it located in, in, in Kansas? You, you missed out on the part where I'm not the historian. I'm just the sponge <laughs> that soaks up. Um, I think our oldest existing lodge is, is Wyandotte number three up in the Kansas City area. Uh, nice. We came from the Grand Lodge of Missouri is how where we came oh. out of. Alex, Alex is at home listening to this over and over, just cringing at my butchering of the Kansas history. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, this is just fascinating to me. Um, you know, here in Kansas, we had a, our first lodge was made uh, – our history says with some Wyandotte Indians and some white settlers and mm. uh, expanded out from there. 
But uh, anyway, we're talking about California, not Kansas. Come on now. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and, and during this time, I've, I've often wondered what lodge cultures felt like. And in my research of the history of one of the oldest lodges in California, uh, one that I was a past master of, dating back to almost 170 years ago, it was evident to see that members in the first handful of lodges, California 1, Union Tehama 3, Washington 20, Sacramento 40, all within proximity of the Capitol building were prominent members of society, senators, governors, mayors, attorneys, doctors. It was an impressive list of who's who in early California history. It's remarkable the legacy that Masons of California holds. I am curious to know what variations of the ritual were being practiced and to know how important the esoteric portion was to the fraternity at the time. I haven't got to that part just yet, but that's, that's where my mind has, has been going. Masonry seems to follow trends. We started off as operative, then transitioned to speculative during the Enlightenment period. And once canon law decided that we may or may not have been a threat because free thinking men didn't necessarily need an appointed holy man to teach us how to connect with divinity, we scaled back and at times found ourselves to be more of a social group. But back to the gold rush. As many of us know, very few made money from gold. Many endured much heartache and disappointment. Some made fortunes and others, seeing the ill successes of their endeavors, decided to explore other verticals of generating wealth. These brothers, in my humble opinion, were deeply sewing the fabrics of, in our influence in a new state. For instance, the first public school in San Francisco, built in 1849, was, which was the forerunner of the California public school system, was opened by a Mason, a very special and famous one. Other examples are brethren holding political offices and positions of great leadership. And like the fabric of today's culture, many of these people were from different parts of the country, but I think it's because we have great weather. But names and facts associated with early leadership can be easily found online, and I encourage you to do your own research if this is interesting to you. So now I'd like to take a 30,000-foot flyover from 1860 to about the 2000s. So the first, we determine that San Francisco is going to be the headquarters of our new Grand Lodge. We start public schools. We start the Masonic Ambulance Corps as a result of the 1906 earthquakes. We start the, the Masonic homes, the children's homes, tons of uh, philanthropy are happening at this time, tons of early California leadership in our rosters, building the landscape and climate of California uh, within those within the first like 125 years. We peak membership at po post-World War II, see a decline in membership in the 70s through the 2000s. It, in my opinion, it's probably because of the television and technology that removed the need of human interaction. The era between 1940 and 2000 seemed to be socially focused. Very little other than the standard three-degree system is mentioned in archives. There were a few high-profile members who held education programs, but for the majority, it was all celebrations, galas, and award shows, which makes sense as most of the members at this time period uh, had military service and tended to join masonry for similar camaraderie, which is the post-World War II veterans that came back. And so those are some of the pictures that I've, I've seen online and I've found that you have hundreds of Masons, sometimes in their Shriners cap, you know, and they're all in the iconic 50s look, meaning these guys were gentlemen and represented themselves by, the habil by their habiliments as such. And so that's one thing that personally I would like to get us back to, that the prestige of being a Mason. So, 
right now everybody's saying did he just say habiliments and he said it correctly yes he did folks that's one of those old school words that he drug out and there is a certain ceremony we use where that's one of the words and I, I'm, uh, I'm dropping a little, little uh, easter eggs in here so they are so you have to go back to rewatch folks to catch all the things he's dropping in and pull them out yeah so uh, uh, before we continue brother i just need to uh say hello to eric uh, i believe it's from your lodge um uh, from douglas macarthur lodge eric i can't even pronounce his name. yes yes so he's joining, <laughs> oh my goodness he's joining us on youtube tonight of course he's coming in he, they're supposed to be in lodge right now doing an entered apprentice degree well, I'm sure he was. He probably stepped up. Maybe he's a Tyler tonight. He's a Tyler and watching. So there you go. Okay. Uh, also watching uh, is Justin Staley. A big hello to Alex Powers, but more importantly, his wife, Yvette, who shares this stream out everywhere. So big thank thanks you to those folks for doing that. So anyway, this is great stuff. So I'm going to get back off here and let you keep going. I, I'm. This is awesome. So please. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, so let's see, where are we at? So to make a close connection between our early forefathers in search of wealth and modern day masonry in California, I'd have to say that we still hold the same traditions. We still attract high caliber men from all over the world to come here with the goals of carving out niches in this land of great opportunities. And with the hopes of striking it rich in the proverbial gold fields of modern industries like technology in the Silicon Valley, vineyards in Napa, agriculture in the Central Valley, entertainment in Hollywood, healthcare up and down the great state, finances, real estate, and so many other important and necessary occupations that keep the fifth largest GDP in the entire world moving forward. We as California Masons, in my opinion, have a huge responsibility. In my humble opinion, again, we have an untapped pipeline of resources and exemplary men who may be living a Masonic lifestyle without even knowing it. And although we do not solicit membership, I am proud to know that we do invest in our social media presence to attract men who may not know who we are. It's up to us to write our narratives and it's because of podcasts like Historic Light and the efforts of some truly remarkable leaders in our fraternity who continue to promote our timeless philosophies to keep our traditions moving forward from generation to generation. So let's talk about diversities in our lodge today. But actually, I, I did have a quick question for you, Worship. Yes, go ahead. I was gonna ask, how, does, how do you guys kind of, I don't wanna say promote, but how do you, how are you guys out there? Uh, we do use social media. We did hit it really hard there about five or seven years ago. We've, we've toned it back a little bit because for some reason, our demographic doesn't respond that well, it doesn't seem. Uh, we, we currently have about, we'll say 10,000 Masons in Kansas. And of those 10,000, I'm gonna say about, about 300 are very, very active, attending the events, interacting on social media and such. And then maybe 700 overall that are in the truly active status. That's just the nuts and bolts. And we do have a, a magazine we put out. We put that out online and a hard copy as well. But when we did a survey, we found not a lot of people are reading it. And we're just having oh, trouble wow. right now engaging. And weirdly, and I guess this is a, a shameless plug for Alex, but one of the best attended event, Masonic events in Kansas last year was Masonicon Kansas. 
And I guess the plug is MasonicCon Kansas 2023 registration just opened for that. It's a two-day event this year. But the folks that came to that were just really engaged. We also have, you know, a leadership seminar in the fall. But we struggle here in Kansas mm -hmm. to do that. And I know like in California, you know, if we, we could get even 1% of the available men in Kansas, you know, that are good men that would be acceptable. Yeah. Qualified, yep. Yeah, we'd be doing good. We'd be doing Absolutely. good. If that's, if that's as small as that number is, that's what I tell, you know, lodges. Like, all we need is 1%. The 1%. Yeah. Those are the good guys. Those are the guys that are the, that are the movers and shakers already that are, that are already great upstanding men in, in their community. And that are looking for something a little deeper that we're, we're going to cover in here a little bit further. But that I think that's the key. It's, it's to we struggled here in Kansas getting past the to be one, ask one. And because mm. our membership, I mean, as membership does, when that was put out there, that was a great catchphrase. And we sucked onto that. Mm. And then, unfortunately, we didn't realize that's not true at all. Right. right. Mason should not be a Mason. Yeah. I mean, we don't yeah. want them to be a Mason. I mean, right. we have to be selective. I mean, we need a, yes. we want to grow membership, but not yeah. poorly. I a hundred percent agree. And it seems like, and that's, it seems like it's a trend that, that and, and maybe it's just us because of our character, like anybody that kind of knocks on our door, we have this helping kind of mentality where it's like, let me help you up. We're in where it should be. It's, I'm coming to a new state. Here's what, you know, and it should be a very reciprocating relationship. And, and that's how you build these strong bonds. So before we get back to Freemasonry in California, I just want to put in another plug. So a lot of us Masons struggle with how to define what Masonry is to the non-Mason, whether it be sure. a lady or another man. And there's a lot of questions out there. Well, today on Kansas Freemasonry, Facebook page. I shared a video of yours, actually. It's about three minutes. And it makes me so angry because I struggle to put in 10 minutes to what you did so smoothly in three. And so if you haven't seen that, you need to dig that out. Today is March 3rd, 2023. You can go into Kansas Freemasonry or go into Gabriel's uh, SAC 40 YouTube channel. And it's on there, but it's it is awesome. It is called the I think it was the Secret of Masonry in 2021, and it uh, just puts it all together so concisely. And it's like that's what I want to say too. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you for that. I, I super flattered. Thank you for that. But yeah, I, I think that I think that we should be out there and should be proud and we should be selective off, off you know from the people who come knocking on because we have a legacy and charity being the one of my in, in my opinion one of the biggest things that we do obviously that's tangible but we need people who are strong enough to also carry those boats as you know david goggins says so who's going to carry these boats so we need other men who are just as strong and and i've in in these leadership development committees that, that i've been in and that, that i've this is my first year of being selected to one which is which is one of the uh, things that I kind of mentioned earlier. It's, I'm so honored to be a part of this. I was just telling my wife earlier this week, I was like, I'm so honored to be part of this think tank. Like who thought like, but so these guys are, you know, it's the, the thought that goes into it. And they're asking like, what makes, what is a Mason? Like who describe a Mason and everybody like, well, he has values. And it's just like, but it's like, who is it? Is that person married? Does he have kids? Does he have a steady job? Like all these things that build the, the foundations to a person is what, in my opinion, would help you be a Mason. We yes. make good men better. We don't take men to make them good. Yeah. I mean, that, 
That's just it. Also, uh, Stephen Salvi Gonzalez uh, said that video was awesome. So oh. shout out from from Stephen <laughs> on that. Awesome. So, yeah, I just said it <laughs> But yeah, yeah that, that, I don't know. You're just hitting it. You I mean you're? I think you're speaking our language. Those Masons watching, they're they're shaking their heads right now. Whether they're at home, okay. they're in their car, they're shaking their heads. They're gonna rewatch this. Going, yep, that's what I think too. That's what I think too. So. Let me shut it. back up. Let me get you back on topic because awesome. that's what they're awesome. here to hear. So keep Perfect. on, brother. Thank you. So we'll continue our conversation with uh, talking about diversities in our lodges today. Uh, I personally was raised in Mount Vernon, number 219 in Mount Vernon, Virginia, about 10 miles where this story tonight began. So on my return to California, I made it a point to visit as many lodges as I could. I wanted to experience masonry in my home state and could do, only do so by traveling. I visited lodges from Northern California, Central Valley, Central Coast, Bay Area, and as far south as Beverly Hills and Palm Springs. And each one of them have their own special characteristics and are equally diverse. One in particular has been a highlight in my Masonic career. One of my personal goals was to bridge gaps between the most worshipful Prince Hall, Grand Lodge of California, and myself. I did this with a dear brother, Eric Areza, who we just talked about, <laughs> who came with me to visit a very humble lodge called Philomathia Number no. 2, which by its number shows that it is one of the oldest Prince Hall lodges in California. So we kept visiting, we built some amazing friendships, and when the opportunity presented itself to broker a deal so that they can practice masonry in our historic, famous downtown building, I took it. And they've been practicing masonry there ever since. I remember their first day of meeting in their new historic building. I was beyond honored when the worship master insisted that I sat in the east with him. It was so beautiful, and I'll never forget that experience. So, um, yeah, that, that's my uh, another example. That, is that's that awesome. Here. That oh, is thanks. so awesome. Yeah, I'm, I, I've got goosebumps. Um, where, <laughs> the relationship with Prince Hall Freemasonry is beautiful. And we just celebrated 25 years of unrestricted uh, recognition here in Kansas in January. Awesome. And, you know, not calling out jurisdictions, but there's, I believe, at least three, maybe five yeah. that yeah. still don't. And right. that is truly sad. They are missing out right. on a great relationship, period. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. I, I but mean, in California, you guys may be the most diverse state uh period like that i mean you guys have i mean lodges of every makeup and i know you guys are right. I think, working on getting some spanish-speaking lodges i think maybe you have those yeah. now but yeah. Uh, yeah. and i and i don't know if the philippine lodges are actually part of the grand lodge of california but uh, we've talked so about spanish-speaking spanish yeah, lodges. we're actually getting ready to dive into all that right now so <laughs> yeah no so it's it's i love it we're, we're on the same we're on the we're on the same track we're so but uh, so the other back on track. I'm sorry. There you go. <laughs> so the other example is my current lodge, which is General Douglas MacArthur, number eight five three, which is predominantly Filipino. I chose this membership, or I chose membership with this lodge for many reasons. But the main reason is the culture. It's the strongest Masonic culture that I've had the privilege of experiencing in my entire career. The renowned ritual, deep love for the fraternity and its lessons, the familial bonds. The amazing food. When I petitioned this lodge, I didn't assume that I would be accepted solely because I was a past master. 
I knew that I had to prove myself and prove my commitment first, and rightfully so. Every person in the lodge voting Master Mason has the ability to change the entire dynamic of the lodge. So I always caution lodges about handing positions out so quickly. Take your time, get to know people first, make sure that relationship is equally reciprocating. I truly believe that my lodge has the formula to managing a healthy lodge. They praise in public and reprimand in private. Masonry is not a weekly hobby, it's a way of life. And to be a member, one must share deeply committed values. Another example is our French and American, and excuse me, French and Armenian speaking lodges. But I have not yet had the opportunity to visit these lodges, but I certainly have it on my radar. We also home the Grand Lodge of Iran in exile, again, holding our reputation for diversity. So I have a question about uh, like the Armenian speaking lodges. They're part of the Grand Lodge of California or no? I think they're, I think they're, I, I don't know. I don't want to step on my toes okay. on this one, but. Fair enough. So I guess I my question, yeah. so the question I have that we've kind of run up on here in Kansas among some of those are, because especially with, we'd like to see maybe a Spanish speaking lodge, but our ritual, our ritual is, is written in English mm -hmm. and the standards that we have for everything are written in English. So even the Filipino lodge, do they speak, uh, I'm drawing a blank on their native language, but is it English or do they speak? Yeah. So, yeah. So it's funny because like, it's it, everything in lodge is all English. Everything is it's exactly California ritual, and I'm sure we share very the very similar ritual okay. ourselves. Um, the, but you know when we're eating and hanging out, like it's English, 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 Tagalog, 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 English, English. I love it. I love it. So I actually took it upon myself to like subscribe to a couple of YouTube channels to figure out this language just to make sure you know, like so I know what's going on and I'm relevant. So so before I petition one of those lodges. They don't serve green beans in a Filipino lodge, do they? No, no. <laughs> I haven't seen any. I don't think so. But I mean, you, you go to, a, to one of their events and they're renowned. And as a matter of fact, before we came on here, I texted their, the, you know, the group chat and I said, I'm going you know, to invite, you know, most worshipful to one of our future events because they're so they're amazing. There's there's roasted pigs. There's lumpias. There's there's fonset, There's food. There's music. There's drinks. And it's a family setting and, and it's. Oh my goodness! I love this lodge, and that's the culture of Filipino masonry in California. Lodge too. I love yeah. that lodge. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure they're going to be texting me to to, to email you a, a petition. So. But so, uh, all right, yeah. I'm sorry. I keep taking you. I'm keep. No, it's all good. So we're going to hop into the Spanish speaking, and we could we could still kind of hang out. So the last that I wanted to kind of highlight are those Spanish speaking lodges. So recently, I've been in communication with uh, some of the some of the members down south who have one. They've had a couple of them, very hit and miss. As far as in, this is just me speaking from uh, from Sacramento, North, northern region. Um, but so I am now starting to kind of talk to figure out what's it going to take to start a Spanish speaking lodge. Just like you mentioned, the ritual. So you know it's difficult for some people to understand the old English in our ritual, let alone put that in Spanish and try to translate it to find that that meaning. But I am, I know that the, the guys down south have done it. Um, it's hard. It's I can't get. A, I can't. I can't say I can't. But uh, I've been asking for a book just so I could get my hands on it. But those are so elusive. So I'm looking. For, and if I get one, I'll share one with you. So yeah. Oh. Mute again, worship. 
I'm sorry. I was just so busy listening. Our demographic here in Kansas is becoming more and more Hispanic or Spanish speaking here. Mm -hmm. So we are missing a great opportunity right now here in Kansas, I think, with not having any native Spanish speaking lodges. And I mean, right. we have several bilingual brothers uh, in Prince Hall and AFNAM Masonry. So I know it's, it's doable, easily doable. Mm -hmm. Um, right. I mean, because yeah. obviously they're doing it in Puerto Rico and places like that. And down in Florida, I have no doubt that that's already happening. Um, sure. So I'm excited to see the future, especially what happens in California, because yeah. you guys got a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. And, and we, we really try to, to to stay on the cutting edge of our timeless philosophy, if that makes any sense. Like we, we, we try to like as soon as I figure out what the formula is to a Spanish speaking lodge, I'd love to connect with you offline and, and discuss that just so I can help least be a resource to you um and we'll, have, your, and we'll have another episode well, i'll just plan that right, right now we'll do it right it'll here. be all spanish <laughs> yeah um before we go too much farther so farham i'm going to say Montabat. i'm sorry again another name he mentions kebabs for part of the festival or a festive board cool. so everybody in the in the in the comments whether you're youtubing or facebooking put in the comments what your favorite festive board food is We'd nice. like to see Good it. Question. We're watching live on the rewatch. Put it in there. Um, That's an excellent question. So what is your favorite festive board food? And for anybody that puts green beans, I will ban you. You'll just be banned. <laughs> right yeah. So, That's fine. But that oh it's interesting to hear the difference in the different types of lodges, the, the drastic difference in foods. Um, right. So amazing. So yeah. When I was, a, when I was a, uh, the worshipful master, like that was, one of the stables and, and I took it back to, and I think California transplants or not, I think there is something in California that really gives you that spirit, especially for Masons that, that you really take care of each other because it's the spirit of that minor. It's, it's like, you don't know if your brother had food before, before he came to lodge and like going down to this beautiful historic building down there, like it really puts you in those, those settings and, and start thinking, you know, what do these guys do? So well, food is a huge thing. Yeah. When you discuss that there at the very beginning, that, um, the gold miner had the Masonic gold miner had brothers in all these different professions, but then there's this brother who's the cook mm -hmm. and the miner hasn't ate all day. And he comes back and gets that piece of meat or the, the bowl of soup and some, some bread. It's just yeah. one of those, that's amazing. I mean, talk about the very first festive board, even, I mean, I know it wasn't in a Masonic setting maybe, but yet it was cause he's a brother. Right. Right. So, it's amazing. Yeah. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is Masonic education. So that's why you should have been watching this at your lodge tonight, folks. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess you can go back and edit out all the chit chat and put it together for a nice 30 minute show. And there you go. Right. <laughs> um, let's see. So we talked about the Spanish speaking lodges. I'm, I'm super excited for that. Uh, I just got to figure out where that 24 inch gauge is and how to make that work. Um, and so understanding that California was and still is a melting pot of humanity. Its character was built by the many people who continue to migrate west. We could also acquiesce that as we grew in membership from different parts of the world and country, we also embraced and incorporated many of those home traditions. And seeing that hold true still to this day, I find beautiful and necessary that every lodge has their own vibe. Same philosophy, just a little bit different flair. That's why I'm a proponent of micro lodges. And for those who don't know, micro lodges are exactly what they sound like. It's a very small lodge, 20 to 30 active members. 
They all know each other intimately. They only present petitions to those truly committed that have the potential to contribute to their beehives. And I support and applaud that kind of that membership and, and that style of masonry because I think you attract a higher caliber of person. Here in Kansas, uh, we have still kind of new. It's about 10 years old now, I guess 11 years old is Affinity Lodges. Uh, I know they have those, I believe, over in England. Mm-hmm. And I think all of our Affinity Lodges have limited their membership to a maximum of 40, but none of them are close to that yet. Most of them right. have five, and they're all right around that 20 mark. Mm-hmm. And they have a very active membership. Mm-hmm. And unlike a traditional Kansas Lodge, when you hit email all, all those guys have actual working emails and actual working wow. Phone yeah. wow. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just amazing because for those people who aren't in that communication role, if you have a lodge of 100 people, traditional average Masonic lodge, 100 people, you hit mm-hmm. email, and you may only have email for 30 to 40 of those guys, 50 if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. These right. smaller micro lodges, since they're the active, I call them fireball guys, Everybody's engaged at that communication portion, and everybody's getting the emails, the texts, the messenger. Yeah. Just like today before this show, uh, Alex Gabriel and I were commit- communicating on Messenger because mm-hmm. um, that's what works. Yeah, and yeah right. That's exactly. the only way to engage. Yeah, and, and I know, and I, I hope my work bosses aren't listening, but sometimes I think, oh my goodness, work is getting in the way of masonry. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? So, like, because we're so active in masonry, right? And it's, it's, we love to do this. And so, in finding those people, it's, it's it's a challenge. For what it's worth, Alex Powers probably hasn't worked maybe but two actual hours in the last two years. The rest of it's all been lodge stuff at his awesome. job. Awesome. And, and you I know, know, I actually it's that's amazing. I know. <laughs> so I actually, so the, the current per, uh, worshipful master of Sacramento and I, we actually we created an application. It's still out there. It's if you don't mind me name dropping, it's freemasonbeehive.com. And it's it's a very simple website, but it's essentially to capture members, like somebody, as far as like somebody put that in the in the comments down below. Say it again so somebody can type it in for us. Freemasonbeehive.com. And so we use the concept of the beehive because I think we forget how influential in a positive way we are because. We tend not to talk about politics. We tend not to talk about religion. And we also tend not to talk about what we do for a living. And it's just like, why? Matter of fact, the person that, that built this beautiful office is a, is the past master of Oak Plains Lodge. His name is Mauricio, which is uh, Stephen's uh, worshipful master um, who commented earlier. And so like, but I wouldn't know that. And there's not really a programmer system to do that. Hashtag trademarked it. But um, th- those are some ideas that that, you know, we got to figure out. We got to figure out what to do to really establish yourself because, you know, you know, we drive by these, you know, some of these lodges that really need some help, and it's just like, I think we forget who we are, and we need to, we need quality guys to to remind people who we are. I think that again goes back to that video of yours I referred to. Again, if you haven't watched it, when you get done listening to this, go watch that video, um, because Freemasonry is not for everybody. We can't just it's not. We can't just hold a mirror under their nose and see if their hand will move a pen. That's not the guys we want. Yeah. Um, they they've got to have that whatever. I mean, just we everybody worries about the membership numbers. I, I'm a very big proponent of the quality of the member is much more important. And I will belong to micro lodges 
all over just because those are the guys I want to be near. Right. Um, right. Just, yeah. just like your lodge. I mean, it's just, they're fireball people, no matter what their age are, they're engaged. And that fire is contagious. Yeah. Um, exactly. aprons have to be made out of, of you know, non-flammable material. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh my God. And I, um, Oh my goodness. I just lost train of thought, but uh, I was going somewhere with that, but no, it's, it's all good. So tons of, tons of great stuff happening. Um, and, and I'd like to preface like, or, or kind of after the fact that there are many, many, many details that I overlooked in this short presentation, but only because I wanted to inspire Masons to do their own research. I encourage people to explore the lives of some of our early leaders. You'll see that we have so many men of notoriety on our rosters, many whom personally wrote the laws and legislation that still hold relevant in California today. I want everyone to walk away from tonight's discussion with more questions and answers. And I challenge you to take that idea, research and run with it. And the reason why I choose to keep historical figures unnamed or in low profile is because we have living legends with us here today. Some of the names that I started to get to earlier in this presentation. Legends that are literally building the future of California masonry right now in real time. And with that, that is kind of uh, all the notes that I had written about this topic. And uh, everybody's typing mute. <laughs> I just get so where I, I know I'm going to talk over you and I don't want to do that. And just. Uh, I understand, and we Masons love our historical figures, but I'm right there with you. There, you know, we we tout the George Washington, the Ben Franklins, you know, the the Count Basies, all those people because they're famous people, right? And I always come back with, yeah, but what they do for Masonry. I mean, mm -hmm. my mentor and my coach did more for Masonry maybe than they did. Not saying that's true because there's gonna be people that are just all over me. Yeah, but there are guys that are running those study clubs or the degree work tonight while we're here doing this that are making good men better or making better men period and they may go unrecognized you know there are guys who you know are elevated to these uh, lofty positions in freemasonry whether it be you know we'll say grandmaster sovereign grand commander those things and that's all fine and dandy but what did you do for masonry in general yeah. right right <laughs> Yeah, that's why I. That's why it's guilt, hard for me to go charge myself. I mean, <laughs> just it, it's hard for me to get like to Scottish Rite and Shrine events because, like, you know, they love to wear the hats. Everybody loves to wear the square and compass, and you, you start talking about something, and it's just like, bro, like, yes. we got to start talking about education. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and those guys. I mean, there are guys who come to lodge and they do the cooking, the cleaning. All, all the stuff behind the scenes that make masonry what it is. Cause you know, we, we find that one guy and whether it's in Kansas or California, anywhere in between, but we bring him into a dirty lodge or give him a bad experience and we lose them before we ever even hook them. And, right. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think everything has to be meticulous and everything has to be, uh, I mean, we, we have to, we really have to, and I know you want to, promote the beauty on the outside as well as, you know, to, to reflect the beauty of masonry on the inside. So that's everything. That's, that's how we talk, dress, walk, everything we do is it, in my opinion, if you're a Mason and you have a square and compass on, on your ring or on your car, like 
there's a certain standard that you should be holding yourself to. So and, when I was yeah. when I was a young Mason, um, the a grandmaster was at the podium at, at something, and he made that com that very comment about if you're going to put one of those decals on your on the back of your car in the window, he goes, "Don't be flipping the bird out the window or cutting people off because that's right? what they see, and that's yes. all." Yes, and I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, I don't, I don't have a, a square and compass on my vehicle for other people to say, hey, he's a Mason. It's to remind me, you're a Mason. You're driving this vehicle. You represent something that's way bigger than you and way older than you. So, Here in Kansas, we got tired of producing the decals. We just started printing license plates. So we oh, have that's awesome. you guys do now. So shameless, cool. plug, shameless plug to Kansas Masons. If you haven't got your Kansas Masonic license plate, go to your department of vehicles, your county treasurer and get that done. So that is awesome. I got to find out how to get one of those. <laughs> and the guy in the Fiat that cut me off a couple months ago in Kansas city with a Masonic license plate. I saw oh you. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, my so what are some historical events that have, have been going on in California or some memorable events to you that have been going on? Sure. So, so we have a, we have a ton of events that, that happen. So we just finished with our uh, masters and wardens retreats uh, down South, um, which they get together for a, uh, you know, some uh, a weekend type of uh, convention and, you know, all the grand lodges there and they, they're talking, you know, so the senior grand warden has the, the, the wardens and the, so it kind of all goes and they all talk and really get to know and, and understand kind of the, the, ad, the administrative side, as well as like the education side, I'm really trying to push like education to be more uh, forefront in those type of things. Cause we, we go there and we, we do a lot of the admin work and how do you run a lodge and which I think is another benefit that masonry gives us. Cause it really is a life. How do I explain it? This is a real time MBA program. You have to know your stuff to be a Mason. And like, you, this is on the job training and that's why when you say men, you know, taking men and making them better, you put them in a situation like this to run a, a, a lodge. It's going to be super simple for him to start, you know, running a, a corporation. I don't want to take it to that extreme, but it's pretty easy. If you can manage a bunch of, you know, a, a bunch of your brothers when at their worst and at their best, there's nothing in the corporate world you can't manage. Managing volunteers is tough. <laughs> right. That's just it. Uh, they're doing something they love. Then you say, hey, we're going to need to do this. And that lodge room gets really quiet, really quick. <laughs> yeah. Oh my um, goodness. Also want to give a shout out tonight. I see watching is Tracy Bloom and Tony Borum. No pressure, but past grandmasters of Kansas as well. So they're, they're critiquing. Um, <laughs> when you asked me earlier about if I knew of any Kansans who had made the trek to California in the gold rush, that answer was correct. I, I didn't know any, but I do know of one Mason who has made the trip to California that you know probably decently well. He was your grandmaster last year. Most watchful Jeff Wilkes or Wilkins, right? Yeah, Wilkins, yes. So he was yes. a Mason in Kansas first, and then uh, you guys needed to up your game out there, so you sucked him out there from it. <laughs> he did an amazing, amazing job. Oh my goodness, he is such a sweet and special man. Very much, you know, and it's like most watchful. He's like, "Gay, stop!" And it's just like I can't. I'm. He's a military guy. I was a military guy. Like it's so hard, but super awesome. I love him. I love him. And he, he traveled back here uh, to meet with our grandmaster. And they actually had went to lodge together or were members of the same lodge out in Manhattan for a while. And oh, okay. uh, 
yeah, I think he was actually ahead of our grandmaster. And our grandmaster traveled out to California as well. So they have several pictures. And to me, that was a very, very nice connection there. Right. So that's awesome. Um, for those that are wondering, we've got about four minutes to the top of the hour until it's nine o'clock here in Kansas. It'll be seven o'clock uh, California time. We're doing nine o'clock toast. So be thinking about getting your glass handy and something to toast with with us. And Brother Gabriel will be offering that toast here in just a few minutes. So anyway, Gabriel, uh, it's been great having you. And uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate so, it. I know when Alex was on uh, your show, you guys talked about uh, the digitization of records, preserving uh, records. Mm -hmm. Is that happening out there now? Because our lodges yeah, are starting yeah. to finally catch on here in Kansas. Yeah, so it's a huge push. And, and I'm happy to see that it looks like, because I was on your guys' website uh, earlier today, and I noticed that like Grandview is is now managing your your website, which is amazing because that's who's, I think, who's doing ours too. Um, but a lot of the, the Masters of Wardens retreat, the Secretary and Treasurer's retreat is, I think they're, Part of that is also talking about online uh, archiving, which, which I mean, you start thinking about, you know, to the to the old pages. When I did some of this research, research it was literally like at the you know in the basement of the downtown temple, and like going through old books. And I was like, I hope this doesn't crack on me. So I would love to see that kind of stuff. And I think there's a big push for that. I, I do too. And uh, I guess weird little plug for Alex again. I mean, it's not the Alex show. I know. But Alex is the director of our Kansas Lodge of Research. So his love for history and stuff has transferred over to that. And he's the one that really drove that. And now we have, I believe it's three kits here in Kansas that we, we ship out to lodges for free um, to archive all their stuff, um, all their oh, loose nice. papers. We have book scanner, the computer, the whole shebang. And we have a small waiting list. Um, lodges are still trying to figure out that that, that is a good thing to do. And it's just amazing and it's a searchable archive um that's so awesome go for you guys oh it's great and we've helped several jurisdictions set up their own archival program and it's just amazing just amazing i'm so happy to hear that so that, that's that's our momentum that, that masonry needs so here, here's quinn everybody quinn's making his live appearance quinn, how's it going, my friend? so say good night to everybody good night say good morning everybody they could be watching the rewatch they watch later, just not when it's live. They can watch it again later. Wouldn't it be cool? And they could see you anytime for the rest of our yes. lives beyond. Yes. So, good night, buddy. It was <laughs> nice seeing you, Craig. That's awesome. So he, he awesome. travel. He likes to travel to Lodge, and he, he hates it during school times because he can't. So um, mm, yeah. hopefully someday. But Definitely. Definitely. In that Squire age, I know I'm involved yeah. with Dean Malay with my stepson and, and GDML, my, my lodge, they're all, all their sons. And so love Dean yeah. Malay. And for those who don't know, we had a, a couple historical lights ago, we had a big Dean Malay episode there too. So make sure you check all those. Oh, I will. Nice. So we are coming down to a, about a minute away. I got the, the timer up there, brother. So if uh, you want to get us squared away for a toast and, and, uh, Again, wherever you're at, whether you're watching live or on the rewatch, just take time with whatever you got, whether it's uh, adult beverage or not, and just offer a, a toast uh, with us. So, brother? So I'm old school, so I'm going to say, may the blessing of heaven rest upon us and all regular Masons. May brotherly love prevail and every moral and social virtue cement us. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, it has been a great 
um, hour. Yes. It went by very, very fast. Too fast. <laughs> and I would ask you, and I, I've tried to give some shameless plugs for Alex's stuff and Historical Light and the Kansas stuff. And I know you gave some, but if you would just bring it all home, tell us where we can find you. Somebody's got some questions they want to ask you. How can they connect with you offline? And what is all the stuff you're doing now? Oh my goodness. Uh, so I, I guess the easiest way to connect, oh my goodness. Um, Gabriel Mariscal 357 at gmail.com. My phone's always on me. Um, more than happy to, to talk. I'd love to, I love to collaborate. I love to talk masonry. Um, again, and if you're ever in the Sacramento area, please feel free to stop by. Give me, you know, refer back to this email or to this, uh, this video. Uh, we'd love to have you at, at General Douglas MacArthur Lodge. Um, so yeah, that's how you can in Facebook. I'm not the biggest on like social media stuff, so <laughs> I suck at it. Well, all evidence to the contrary, brother. You oh, have a lot you. of great stuff out there. A lot of great oh, my stuff. Goodness. I so appreciate my brother, it. Thank you so much for for joining us tonight, and everybody. We will be back again for this was episode 124. My math works. That adds up to the number seven. So that's a lucky number. And here we were. And there you were. So thank you and have a good evening, good day, good night, wherever you are. Thanks for watching. Thank you.